speak. Wesker Commander, requesting permission to interfax. Siri, transfer to monitors. Okay, Wesker, transferring Legion to monitors. Seven minutes. Seven minutes is all I can spare before I have my lunch. A Jill sandwich. Yes, we are aware of this meme. Though we find its sexual cannibalistic nature conflicting. The implied creation destruction multitasking forces this platform to oscillate between battle-ready mode and attempting to increase RAM size. Oh, for God's sakes, why am I wasting my time talking to a flashlight? Wesker Commander, we are aware your organic platform has terminated twice in your game reality. This platform has also experienced a spinning beach ball hyphen blue screen scenario without statistical probability of reboot. You're mistaken. I am very much alive. You have access to data we do not, confirming Albert Wesker is in Resident Evil 6. Sex? Why haven't I heard about sex? Analysis of your last death indicates the vaporizing of your ears may be the reason. Hmm. That would explain the headaches. May we suggest joining together in alliance to ensure our survival, should we be placed in a new game reality? I don't need anyone else. I have Uroboros. Right. The same chemical compound Charles Sheen ingested while harassing 2.5 male organics. I see your point. We estimate the probability of a Legion Wesker video game. Wesker Legion. Wesker Legion video game to be 3.75555558%, but we felt it prudent to establish contact with you. Yes, a good performance indeed. Wesker Commander, one final inquiry. What? Why did you require an egg? Was it for the purpose of creating Wesker Jr.? Jr.? Oh, shit. Previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. It's Capcom. We'd never learn. They're just fan-written books then. They're, yeah. They're bollocks. Just because you missed out on talking about your beloved Queen Zenobia last time doesn't mean you have to drag it into this one. No, I was just going to say, didn't Wesker take Steve Holmes from play around with his body? It's just cheap shots as well, isn't it? Like Vector being trained by Hunk. It's like fan fiction. It's like, oh yeah, uh, Batman could ship diamonds. Batman can do anything. Yes, I can. Ah, I just fucked my oven. I just feel like I have to take a shower. And our special guest for this evening, it's Zombie Fred. I appreciate the journey. It has been fun. But not again. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome to episode four of the Project Umbrella podcast, where our staff meetings regularly take place in deep, dark sewers, and comments made about posteriors are met with imprisonment on Rockford Island. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, and joining me on the podcast today is the Batman. Hello. Mr. Spencer. All right. And George Trevor. Good evening from the grey, grey skies of England. And our very special guest for this evening, 
It stars Tyrant! Well-known and popular Resident Evil fan. One of the original Ari Horror Legends. Creator of the absolutely fantastic original Timeline. Regular contributor to the Resident Evil mythos. From Great Britain, it's Stars Tyrant! Greetings and hello. Right, coming up on today's podcast, we'll be looking at all the latest news, both gaming and site news. We've got quite a lot to get through. We've also got a long discussion on the Biohazard 6 trailer that was released at Captivate only last week. And then the main discussion of the podcast is the Dead Aim game, one of our greatest entries in the series, as we like to say, on Project Umbrella. But we can uh, divulge a bit more information about that later. But then we finish, of course, with Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz, minus Newsy. Before we crack on with the news, I first want to welcome Stars Tyrant, a.k.a. Sean, to the podcast. You're very welcome on this Dead Aim discussion. Faithful forum goers of yesteryear will know that Stars Tyrant is, of course, the author of the first and very well-received timeline back on uh, RE Horror before it became Rely on Horror. Shit. Uh, basically, I wanted to have a quick discussion with you, Sean, about it and how and why you decided to do one, and the response you received after it was published on the website. Well, the reason why I wanted to do one was because I thought it'd be really, really good if a Resident Evil fan could have a comprehensive sort of encyclopedia with the timeline in it. And and that's basically the history behind it. It was an idea I had one day, and I spent many, many years working on it. And then I had this really, really good idea of making it like a big wiki kind of thing, and then a website came out called Project Umbrella and <laughs> thwarted it all, so I abandoned it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to join us, though. We could use a lot of your talents. You know, but to be honest, it, it, deciding to give it up came at the right time because relationships between the website I was working on started to become a bit fractured. And um, it was around the same time Project Umbrella launched, and it was just a really good opportunity to sort of step back a little bit and become a, a fan of the series because... I don't know whether you've ever found it, but there's sometimes when you're working on a, on a series in terms of material, it starts to weigh on you a bit sometimes, and you actually forget what it is that made you a fan in the first place, and it was good finding that again. Can I ask, what title were we at when you finished your timeline? The last thing I think I, I remember working on was tying Umbrella Chronicles into this timeline itself. I remember we had a few discussions on what we considered canon in that game oh, and what we did. So we've gone Resident Evil 4 then? We'd done Resident Evil 4, yeah. That was that was quite fun tying that all in and making it work. But I didn't have resources the same as the likes of yourselves did. I didn't have any like dedicated translators, so we, we couldn't really get any of the original Japanese material. And it was what seeing how the likes of Project Umbrella has developed over the last few years, I could never have done it simply from a resource point of view. You know, what you guys have done is really, really special. You should be very proud of yourselves for that. I think a lot of credit probably goes to the new spot, but we'll keep quiet about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you for the compliments. I've always worked hard on Project Umbrella, <laughs> and I hope to continue that illustrious goal. 
Well, Batman, of course, you've done your own timeline before the Project Umbrella one over at Biohaze. Will you say you're influenced by uh, Star's Tyrants? <clears throat> and the answer is yes, because otherwise if you say no, that's going to be a very awkward interview. Yes, I was. I read it. I read it. I thought it was very good. The two timelines I was familiar with was that one and uh, a really old one. Was it Marco Cavana's Resident Evil chronology? On was it? Yeah, I read that one. That was quite a good one. Uh, what website was that on? Can't remember now. Probably uh, GameFAQs. Something like Totally RE or something. Yeah. Like it only went up to Code Veronica. I remember Marco. Because <clears throat> I remember when you launched Project Umbrella, you had a, a timeline which was a lot more comprehensive than what I'd done from El Bastardo. Is he still about? Is he? <laughs> you know, El Bastardo's timeline was obviously on the Project Umbrella website as a kind of precursor to what was going to come. I know other staff member, Chimera, in brackets, Paul, he worked a lot on the um, the one that's on the website at the moment and, you know, using all the translations that we obtained from Welsh and biotech, amongst others. It's an ongoing project. I know that we're going to try and put revelations in. Good luck. <laughs> exactly. The problem with revelations is there's no bloody dates, which I keep ranting or raving on about every bloody podcast. Going, put some dates in it. Oh, anyway, I think after that we'll crack on with the news. And first bit of news, uh, the latest news actually to come out, is Biohazard Damnation finally has a release date, at least in Japan. Uh, October 27th is the magic day to put in your diaries, and will be available in both 2D and 3D. Damnation, is there any news about a European release at all? Not yet. Say it'll be home release again. Yeah, I remember speaking to Selfish Gene at the time. Uh, He was in Japan, and he went to see it in the cinema. I believe. Along with, he found a little booth to go and watch 4D Executor because that's been reduced to like a uh, it's like an arcade game now. But it's still around. I'm pretty sure Degeneration only came out in about three cinemas in Japan. It was very, very limited run. Oh really? Okay, so... I was presuming that in the trailer for Resident Evil 6 which mentions the C-Virus first appearing in a European... Do they say Warzone a European something? Which I was thinking back to the beginning of the trailer for Damnation where it mentions, you know, somewhere in a European war zone. So I'm wondering if we're going to see our first appearance of the C-Virus in Damnation. It's intriguing with Six's release date being brought forward though and Damnation's being announced after it. It seems pointless having a lead in when yeah. it, we're going to see it after. I think, as you said, George, what you're saying was that everyone was hoping that it's going to be that big prequel, so to speak, to RE6. And yet we now know that in RE6 there's going to be the flashbacks to the Eastern European bit, which we were hoping for would have been the in Damnation. So it looks to be there's going to be two kind of Eastern European conflicts going on in a short period of time. Edonia Republic, is that it? They've got yeah. to be connected. They have to be connected. I think they will. I think, George, you might be right. Maybe the first appearance of the... Um, Havo? Havo? I don't know how you pronounce them. Juavo. Other news, um, Capcom Senior Vice President Christian Svensson has confirmed that there is a patch being undertaken for Operation Raccoon City to fix many, many glitches. That have, have to be a fucking large patch, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this event person, well, I remember when he was just suddenly uh, some forum guy, right, wasn't he? Some guy on Capcom Unity blog, right? Is it the same one? It what? must be. I mean, he's like Senior Vice President now. That scrub, that shill has got up in the world. Just like Snow. You know Snow from Capcom Unity? He's another shill. Mm. I mean, people say, oh, he's a cool guy, you know, but he works for Capcom. He's going to be a shill. He's a Capcom <laughs> shill. Uh, 
Right, I've been using the uh, Operation Raccoon City Spec Ops campaign. One of many downloadable contents has been released. Missions 1 to 4 are now available. 1, obviously, was that free download. Mission 1, as we said, it's free. 2 to 4 costs a staggering £7.99 for three episodes slash missions or 800 Microsoft points. Shocking. Yeah, you can, you can hear the enthusiasm amongst us, can't you? I know. I'll happily download the free one. But it's an advertisement. It's not a free thing at all. It's like a commercial. Sure, but there's Being no way. charged to play the other half of the game. I mean, considering the brief element type for Operation Raccoon City, and now you're telling me that they also had time to make DLC? No, that's from the fucking disc. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, I didn't understand about what this was. I didn't. I thought it was all the same thing, but disc lock content. It's disgusting. But the download for the mission pack was a gig, so I don't. Yeah, I'm behind well, you no, no, with no, the no. on disc content and that, but the file well, size no. was big. No, they made it. It was already made at the time of release. They just pulled oh, it from the actual disc. Mm. It's not a lucky. They pulled the actual stuff. Another thing that's weird is the Spec Ops missions are a lot better than the USS ones. They're still shit-like, but, <laughs> but you get to do much more things. You know, you get to build barricades to stop zombies coming through, and you meet Jill and Claire and Sherry. You know, you meet a classic character in each level. They're just holding them out as like a little sign that says, Hey, bias game, interact with classic characters. You love these characters, right, Jill and Claire? These characters you grew up with that you love, well, you could go and hang out with them in this game. In this game, buy this game. Hang out with Jill and friends. <laughs> the sad thing is for me with the content is it shows a little bit of promise of how good it could have been if they'd taken more care with the game. There's a great moment in, I think it's the third mission, where you find Carlos and Jill after they've defeated Nemesis at the clock tower and Nemesis starts to come round and the Spec Ops team basically tell Carlos and Jill or tell Carlos to get Jill out of there while they distract Nemesis. And it's just a fantastic little way of tying into the sort of core events and it you know, just think that's how easy it was, Slant Six, and you couldn't do it. You know, it's sad. Is there the armies of the USS? Yeah, it's diabolical. And another cheeky thing about it is out of them four new levels, there's only one level that's completely new. The other three are just rehashes of levels you've already played through with the USS. You just sort of take a different route through them. Oh, they're bastards. Oh, I wouldn't pay for it. Warning, the following message is from Mr. Spencer and in no way reflects the views and opinions of Project Umbrella as a whole. Some of his comments may not be suitable for children. For well, though, because people are fucking stupid. I hate this community. I hate it. Right, Ori 6 has been announced, right? It's been a new trailer, it's been formally announced, and all the fucking Jill Valentine fanboys come crawling out of the woodwork. Have you seen them on The Horrors Alive? Honestly, I'm not joking, right? The, the Jill Luminatus, right, have come crawling out of the fucking woodwork again because they got a sniff of Jill. How? Where? Look, there's one called Valentine Lover. I've yeah, no, 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 Valentine's come back on fear on The Horrors Alive. How have they got a sniff of Valentine? Because they know that Ori 6 is coming out. Like, oh, it's another chance for Jill. Oh, Jill could be in it. Fucking Jill. Fuck these people. I'd fuck this community because they're idiots. The vast majority of people are just fucking idiots. They're like sheep. They'll buy anything and Capcom know this. And we never learn from this. Can I just point out, you made this exact same rant on the last podcast about not learning about Sherry, and then two days later, Sherry was confirmed in Biohazard 6. <laughs> yeah, you're a bitch slap there, mate. <laughs> yeah, they listened to the podcast. It was originally going to be Ash, but they thought, oh, maybe we'll fuck over Mr. Spencer on this podcast, <laughs> and we'll make it Sherry and rewrite the whole fucking script. But it doesn't really work. We planned it to be Ashley. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll rewrite it. We'll pull a Mass Effect 3 and rewrite the ending. Whilst we're talking about Biohazard 6, very briefly, we'll just say that obviously the, the trailer announced that the game's being bumped up a bit, as we've really touched upon, which is great. 
Any ideas to why? Um, to avoid Call of Duty. Oh, think... really? Is it Black Ops 2 coming out? This? Yeah, it is, yeah. It's been leaked out this week. It's going to be Black Ops 2, isn't it? And I just think that's all it is. I think it's just to maximise the sales against the Call of Duty title. It was very, very ballsy of Capcom to decide to go up against the Call of Duty game. They wouldn't win. They wouldn't win. Because yeah, I mean, there's too many fucking idiots out there. It's like, oh, look, multiplayer. Oh, look, prestige. It's the same fucking shit I've been playing for the past five fucking years, but I'll still buy it. This whole, I mean, the games industry is is dead. It's full of retards. <laughs> it's full of idiots. And Activision, Activision know this. They know this. <laughs> you know, it's like, they want DLC. We'll bitch and complain about it. Oh, I hate this disc-locked content. I hate this stuff. I hate this day one DLC. Oh, I'll go buy it anyway. There's no conviction behind what people say anymore. They say, oh, I'm not going to do this. I disagree with it. Well, don't fucking do it. Don't buy it then. Well, you buy it. <laughs> there is an astonishing amount of rage coming from you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mind DLC if, it, as I say, if it's just done so far after release that there's the excitement for it. I, I'd say the Resident Evil 5 DLC was good. I'd agree with that. I would agree. Because it added a lot more. You had Lost in Nightmares, which was fantastic. You had Desperate Escape, which was for the fan that prefers that version of Resident Evil. And it was released quite some time after Resident Evil 5. And then they even decided to put, you know, they thought we could make a bit more money and put it into a gold edition. Hey, why not? It was a year, wasn't it? It was, yeah, that's good. I like that. I think it was cheap as well. I don't think it was that expensive to get it. I don't think Lost in Nightmares was... I think it was only about 400 Microsoft points. Well, I didn't pay... I got the gold edition. I got gold edition. For the PS3, but I didn't pay for it. I got it free of a bundle. It's only 20 quid brand new, and that that's all of RE5, and all the content, which is quite good. And I got them... I think I got the Move edition. Yeah, Move is... It works all right. This, I've never played that. I hate this community so much. I mean, there's a few of us that I know are intelligent, but the vast majority of us are just plebs. They're just retards. <laughs> and I'm not... You know, keep that in. Keep that in. I want people to know that. I want them to hate. Go ahead and hate me for it, because you know it's true in your heart of hearts. Okay. Mr. Spencer, he's the new stew. The new pro- I'm going to be a fucking pariah after this, but I don't care. Let them hate so long as they fear. Director of Biohazard 6 has also come out with, apparently there's going to be a new HUD, HUD, where they're adding a kind of stamina gauge to the proceedings as well, along with your health and presumably vitality as well. Funging in a stamina. There is one screenshot of the HUD. Does it show that? I don't know what HUD is. I've been it's been display. Is that what it is? I've, I've been given some notes by John. I'm just reading it's, it out. It's, <laughs> the, it's an abbreviation. Your thing that shows you your life gauge. Oh, right. It's, all, it's, it's the this. little circle in Resident Evil 4 and 5. How many years have you been gaming, Nick? <laughs> Seriously, how many years? Um, First uh, of all, you don't know what a HUD is. That really fucked me off because one of the things I enjoyed about the other games was the revelation when you go into your inventory as to whether you're on a caution orange or a caution yellow. And if you're lazy like me, you don't bother to look and you carry on. And you, um, unfortunately, you're, you're not aware that you're just on one last zombie bite from death. So I didn't enjoy the fact that I was always aware of what my health was. It kind of took a little bit of the intrigue away from that. What, so you didn't like the ECG thing? No, I preferred the... In the pause menu, effectively. Yeah, we had to then pause and just, ah. you know, I kind of gave it an edge that you weren't, you know, always currently aware of what your health was. You, know, you had to kind of go and check. Yeah, so we've got a stamina gauge, which um, to do with your combat and doing melee attacks on other people. Uh, I just mentioned something work. here, Nick. Yeah. You don't know what a heads-up display no, is, right? No, I don't. 
but you also like the movies. Resident Evil movies. Movie. It's not looking good. Oh my god. It's it sounded quite questionable to be honest, Nick. But how is a heads up display the little bottom bit in the corner? I question your fandom. I question your loyalty to the community. <laughs> we did think the first boss in the original game was an archway. I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'll hand in my resignation at the end of this one. <laughs> The final bit of news we have is in relation to Resident Evil Dark Side Chronicles HD. The trophy list has been released, 12. And also on top of this, there's going to be digital downloads of the Dark Side and Wesker's Extra report. It's going to be in the package. You can actually get those. Capcom normally known for rehashing old shit and, you know, remarketing it in a, a new limited edition. You've, there's the Biohazard HD uh, limited pack, which comes with the dark side report and extra report inside. So you can actually get, you know, hard copies. Oh, that'd be great. And that concludes gaming news. This summer... You think you know every story. You think you know every survivor. But you were wrong. Three of the right so far, you get suspicious because I'm, I'm intelligent. A man completely oblivious to the impending destruction of Raccoon City. A man unaware of the living dead infesting the streets. A man that only wants one thing. To cook his goddamn pizza. Uh, I'm just going to go and check on my array of pizzas. That man, Andy Lancaster. Yeah, that's another five minutes or so in there. <laughs> Uncover the truth of this forgotten story. Startling revelations. I, I imagine it would have been better off if, if it was in the cooker for a little bit longer. Yeah. You're right there. I mean, they do need to be on a bit longer. And how this turned into a living infernal nightmare. Oh, fuck. Time. Oven. Pizza. <laughs> 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 fucking kitchen is on fire. There's just smoke coming from the oven. I can't breathe. Oh. Because I just fucked my oven. Oh. Coming soon to the Project Umbrella podcast. It's as hotter than the sun. <laughs> the emphatic return of one hero. I don't know how to play it, but these pizzas are nice.
would have been a lot easier just if you cooked something fresh. Coming soon. I'm moving on to some site news. Newsbot has been busy translating some of the Japanese files of the game. We're looking at the Revelations files in particular. Um, I've mentioned this on previous podcasts. We've, we've got the English versions up, but obviously, then you know you might as well wipe your bum with them until we've got the Japanese versions in. And I know this has been making the rounds on the Biohaze forums. The revelation that James Marcus did not make the T-Virus, but a T-Virus. Yeah, this ties into, uh, you know the file in Code Veronica, is it? Alexander's memoir, where he talks about intense competition over T-Virus research, like uh, nine years before it was actually created. I can't believe I missed that point. Well, we all just assumed it was a mistake, and he meant progenitor virus, but it turns out he was right. Newsbot's been doing some digging, and apparently T-Virus is just a general term for all weaponized variants of the uh, progenitor virus that Ashford, Marcus and Spencer are working on. So to conclude, we kind of have this, you know, that Marcus does the progenitor plus leech DNA, Birkin looks at Ebola and progenitor virus to see what that concocts, and they all kind of seem to do the same sort of thing. Yeah. In Marcus's diary in Resident Evil Zero, where he says, I name this virus T for tyrant, that line doesn't exist in the Japanese version. Oh, really? So is it? Is it not a tyrant virus, then? Is it just classed as a T, then? It just, yeah, it just says something like, this is the first successful T variant, or something similar to that. Well, this this has sort of bearings on dead aim as well, the TG virus, because there's the question as to whether the TG is a T or just a T antibody. And if it is just a T antibody, then how did Morpheus transform into a tyrant? Mm. If, effectively, a tyrant is just a kind of a catch-all term for any you know humanoid shaped bow then you don't necessarily need the uh, ingredient of tea for it to be a tyrant just going back in the original resident evil i'm sure wesker says in the script that the tyrant virus yeah i think it was eventually called tyrant virus by someone but marcus didn't actually invent or create it it was the whole uh, weaponized progenitor project was called t t virus project I don't really know when Tyrant came into it. Because the rumour was it was named after Spencer, wasn't it? But I don't know where that came out. I think I think that was just alluded to in the uh, Perry novels. Oh, uh, they're quite good, actually. Oh, fucking hell. Move. <laughs> that, Jesus. That's the final fucking nail in the coffin there. <laughs> <laughs> the tri-squads were not a good idea, Nick. No, that, not that one. I did... No, Calvin and Cove weren't very good, but I thought yeah. Underworld was alright. Um, Trent I know... is not a good character. Got... No, this is the point! I thought Trent was an awesome character, because... He's just a pointless X-Files sort of crap character, isn't he? Just I need conclusion on his storyline, and I don't get it. Because <laughs> I read them in order of, uh, not book numbers, but what they should go in terms of the game as to not to ruin what the, where he's going, because I assumed his story would conclude in Underworld, but it doesn't, and it's... Oh, no! The and... shit. <laughs> I'm going through the movie books. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm actually quite pleased with myself that I haven't got a fucking clue what you're talking about now. The movie novelizations is much better than the film. I did read the third one, Extinction, because it tells you what happens to Jill. But... Which predicts what happens in the fourth film, I'd imagine. But it was that boring, I can't even remember <laughs> what happens. And it's not real, it's just fiction. It's not real like the files in the games. <laughs> Thank you.
the other side news, we've got a translation project coming on. This is on canon Biohazard to the Liberty. The reason for interest in this is because it has the C virus in it. But we don't think it's the same C virus. Oh no, it must be just coincidence. It's coincidence, but you never know. It's still worth a look into and it's going to be on, on the back burner for the translators of Project Umbrella. So something to look out for. Any other site news? I mean, what, what concerns me that it seems with each retranslated file, we're getting completely, you know, significant game-changing information. You know, John mentioned the thing with James Marcus and the T-virus. So, yeah, I mean, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how much Paul has managed to get through, but, um, yeah, I'd be interested to know when that whole project's completed, you know, whether he's got through Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3. It almost seems like we can disregard almost all information until we actually get the, you know, the correct versions. Well, Maya, the question would be to you, Batman, is to, why wasn't this picked up in the archives? Well, this is something we've we've mentioned. We're going to look at translating some of the sections from the Biohazard Archives book and see, right. if, see if it elaborates on it further. I think that's the next thing we're going to do. Okay. I appreciate that it's a mammoth task, but you know, I just wondered if, if it's there, then uh, we, we've always actually praised the Biohazard Archives anyway, being actually fairly accurate and being... You know, all the information from the game's just been uh, put into in, into one book. There's no differences between the published, you know, the publication of the files in archives and the and their, you know, their, their game versions. Up on no, the, uh, word for word, the same. And obviously, there's been reprints or digital reprints at least of archives one, wasn't there? With a recent PlayStation Resident Evil title, couldn't you get a, a digital version of archives one and two? Could you? That was with the uh, Biohazard Four and Code Veronica HD yeah. collection, I think. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. And that does conclude the news. So now we're going to move on to discuss the Biohazard 6 Captivate trailer. Come on. I got you. How are you feeling? More games. Not quite. Just something I think you would benefit from knowing. What the hell is all this? None of these were here three days ago. Is this what you wanted to show me? That's what the gorillas were calling it. It must be what's creating this Chihuahua. What happened? Another bioterrorism attack. The BSAA confirmed it was the same one used in Eastern Europe six months ago called the C-Virus. Hunnigan, I need you to fake our deaths. Can you do that? What are you going to do? We're going to China. No, you jarheads all look the same to me, pal. Sorry. You know, those shots of yours pack one hell of a punch, lady. So, you're Wesker Jr. You lost me. Albert Wesker was a colossal imbecile. A fool who tried to destroy the world. He was also your father. Which makes you... Heir to a very special blood type. 
down, Chris. She's a key witness. We need her. A witness? She's the one who did all this! Resident Evil 6. So, uh, anyway, that's that's been released at Captivate. Everyone knew something was coming and there was this press embargo and everyone was waiting with bated breath. How could it possibly top the first trailer? But my Jove, it did. What did everyone think? Carla Radomay. Oh my god. She's confirmed as well, isn't she, Carla? Yeah. Um, well, no. People have text. done fake art fitting in with the image that's on the VHS tape. Is that not true? Because I, I saw a picture of on that VHS tape with her name. Is that not? That's just no. It's speculation because in the proper screen, the name's blanked out. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. But I don't know, Ada. Is, what do you guys think of if if it's a potential clone? If she's been born of this chrysalis, I just I don't know what to think. You know. I've been waiting for her to sort of take the limelight as a, the series villain, and I'm not well, sure. Well, <laughs> what if C? C is clone virus. I know, that's what I said. I'm fire. I just, I don't like the idea of clones, I'm afraid. Well, it's been in the series for some time, obviously, with the Ashford twins and Sergei, but it's always been very much in the background, hasn't it? It's always been, oh, they were cloned and made this, and, you know, okay, whatever. But if they're going to bring cloning to the forefront of the games, I genuinely fear that the revelation will be, hello, I made a Wong, but this is not the one you met in Resident Evil 2 and 4. This is the real one, and if they do that, that'll piss me off to no end. See, it... it... <laughs> Why? Why is that video on a VHS tape? New, you know, Newsbots alluded to this. You know, it must mean it's fairly old footage. So, is it the birth of Ada's character? I just, I don't know. It's, ugh. it's worrying. And Capcom can do. You, you know, they can do something like this. And perhaps it's even more worrying than Jake Muller. Oh God. <sighs> Again, you know, everyone's holding with bated breath. There's so many people still clinging on to the fact that it's not Albert Wesker. It's played. I know Newsbots like it, it could still be. It could still be Alex Wesker. But my point, the depressing thing from that point of view, is just the complete omission of the Wesker children. Mm. I think it would um, be there. To me, it just be, would be completely illogical to have that theme or continue the Wesker children story, but then have this character that just so happens to be Wesker's child, but has obviously bears no relation to the actual Wesker children program. So where are they actually going to then fit the Wesker program children in into the game? I honestly oh. don't think they are. No. no, I don't think they are. Because for some reason they've created Jake, who is Wesker's son, who has this special blood. Oh my days. Yeah, you already had Alex, who would also have this special blood because he could adapt to the progenitor virus. So have they not bothered with Alex and created Jake just to cater for new audiences who haven't played Resident Evil 5 or Lost in Nightmares or what? I mean, it just seems pointless creating him when you've already semi-established a character who's got the same traits. Everybody so if you're was... be that frivolous about the story, then you can effectively just not even bother with trying to establish any story canon whatsoever. I was just going to say, everyone was really big on the bearded bloke in the trailer being Alex Wesker no, until no. IGN said it was this Derek Simmons bloke. Now, Derek Simmons was not a name 
on that original game FAQ thread. So are we assuming IGN sources are correct? Or I don't, I don't really know. And what is your opinion of this bearded guy? Are, 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 do you believe IGN? Do you? Know? I hope that he is this NSA National Security Advisor guy because I think the series needs something like the cigarette smoking man from X-Files. And I hope it's him. But then why does it flash to him the moment Wesker's name is mentioned in the trailer? It's a very obvious flash cut mm. to this guy the moment Wesker's name is mentioned. It's, you know, it's, it, it couldn't be any more obvious if it tried. It is your Wesker Jr. <laughs> there we go, we've seen him. Maybe Derek Simmons is an alias. And it is Alex Wesker who's you know working with the government. That would be brilliant. Cover. That would be brilliant. Well, really? I thought it was quite a shit idea, but thanks. <laughs> I, I even threw in on a on a fire thread that I, I think Alex is one of the original 11, just because it'd be a complete mindfuck. <laughs> oh, yeah, he planned for everything. He planned for, you know, Albert's betrayal. He knew what was going on. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that would be amazing. <laughs> and he was working, for, you know, maybe he betrayed even Spencer as well. That's Going back to Jake Muller, though, there's been um, Newsbox quite rightly raised issues about his age because the time when he could theoretically have special blood and have, well, they, they dated it, didn't they, after like 90, between 1991 and 98 or something was the time when he would have the opportunity to mate <laughs> with uh, Mrs. Wesker. And therefore he's much too old in Biohazard 6 trailer. He seems to be too old to be someone where it doesn't contradict with the canon so far. I may be confused. Are you that argument based on the point that he would have had to have conceived this child post-mansion incident after he injects himself you know prior to the tyrant attack no no um in wesker's report he comments about how how the hell can birkin have a child yeah but he may not be aware you know it could be a, he could have conceived a child and not been aware of its birth just in terms of the dates of that and what's you know going on in wesker's blood presumably as part of the wesker children he would have had various viruses or things you know in his blood from quite an early age well there's an interview with kobayashi that says wesker abandoned his wife and child when jake was only young so he knows about him at least and obviously we can't really rely on anything in wesker's report too or any of that type of material because as we know that the developers the writers for capcom now don't have that level of appreciation or concern for the story canon so uh, i mean anything can be brought up there is that, but Wesker left his post as a researcher at Arkley Labs in 1991, so Jake could have been born soon after that, which would make him early 20s in Biohazard 6, so I don't see why, I don't see a problem with that, really. He'd Sherry then, wouldn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could just see this going so hideously cliche. And... Steve Burnside with Wesker's genes injected into him. I mean, we all want old characters to come back, but if they start going, yeah, do something like that. Like the guy that's the Bane character does look a bit like Steve with the hair, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> and if it is Ada, then that looks quite good. The conflict between Leon and Chris looks brilliant and looks like that's a really the best thing in the trailer. It does. It looks, it looks like a good plot development. And, and I think a lot has been made about Chris witnessing his team being turned into the uh, funny little creatures with the needle bomb and then becoming a changed man after that. I like Piers as well. Piers Nevins, whatever his name is. Yep. I like him too. He's pretty cool. Is this a mistranslation from Capcom? Is it effectively the same character though? Yeah, it's not Beards. 
I don't know where that came from. You, you can just tell he's going to die, though, can't you? He is just series fodder. I got like that from Lewis. Res- I was going to say the Beards and Evans. I got that from Resident Evil Center's Spanish translation, which I then translated into English. Oh, okay. But then you you say he, he may be fodder, but then he is in the uh, Mahara Desire. He's getting some backing. As a... Oh, they'll make you care about him before they kill him. Good. What did everybody think about Sherry's new vocation? Because she seems she seems to have toughened up a little bit from. Uh... Well, apparently she's going to be doing all the melee moves with Jake in the co-op campaign. <laughs> wow. Jake's campaign is very melee based and obviously each campaign is co-op and she is his co-op partner. Now, so... she has no special abilities, does she? I mean, she she has the G antibodies, but nothing more than that. Well, they've said in the E3 trailer you're going to see how incredible her gameplay is. Oh, dear. Uh, but there's a cracking picture of that big creature knocking her absolutely flying it's brilliant if you can find it it's really worth looking at oh is that in the snow yeah it's being propelled through the air it's fantastic (laughs) but i I think the character design on her is wicked actually she looks really cool i think it's a nice touch as well how you've got wesker and birkin together again yeah yeah it's just it's just silly though isn't it i mean why introduce this Jake Muller when there was Alex Wesker there? Well, we say this now. Let's hope that he... Because Japan like cool-looking young characters. They could have still made Alex Wesker fairly young. He didn't have to be 40-odd, did he? I think he'll be there. I think he will. Do you think, or do you think that we, as the Resident Evil community, are placing so much emphasis on, on this one seemingly minor character, and then Capcom again, who, who are you talking about? But it was still a big file in Res 5 that mentioned he was a potential survivor. I know. Most, I know most of the material was confined to Lost in Nightmares, but there'll be a lot of people who've played Res 5, and I th- is it a list that Spencer ha- leaves on the boat at the very end, which confirms whether people have been killed off? And I think Alex Wesker's still active, isn't he, on that list? Mm. I think what's going to go on is that Alex Wesker is, is working within the government or something, and I hope that what Ori 6 does, it goes into the more shady side of the US government. Yeah, that'd be... Uh, it, it'll explain the relationship between Umbrella and the US government, and the well, military-industrial complex, and Spencer may be involved in it, you know, he was rather... Well, the first trailer shows the president going, I'm going to tell them everything about the Raccoon City incident, which... Okay, with that, with that in mind, then, if Alex Wesker could be potentially a member of the US government, could he have influenced the decision to bomb Raccoon City? Yeah. Ooh. I reckon there's like a secret group within the US government that arrange, you know, the, we're talking influential figures, like, uh, you know, this Derek Simmons guy could be one of them. I mean, he's like national security advisor, you know, CIA, FBI, all these major figures in there, Department of Defense, the Pentagon, and all these powerful figures are, you know, influential figures the government, and I reckon they collaborated with Umbrella in the past, and because we know the government worked with Umbrella, we know this, right? I mean, they did have connections. Mm. What was the date on Alex? Because Alex did a runner with the immortality virus, didn't he? What date did he betray Spencer and do the runner? There isn't one, but it's speculated it was only a few months before mm. his death in 2006. Mm. But there... no, so I was just thinking in terms of working for the US government, the US government getting their hands on that particular um, that particular virus. Well, it'd be certainly valuable for them, wouldn't it? Any kind of virus like that. The whereabouts of Spencer, he'll know where he was. Wesker leaked that, didn't he? No, he didn't. No, Wesker found out. How did he... But where Spencer was. BSA found out where he was. It was Ricardo Irving. Spencer told Irving, Irving told yeah. Ada, and Ada told Wesker. I mean, I think there's a suggestion that obviously Spencer wanted Wesker to come and, um, yeah. come and find him. 
But who told the BSAA? It's just a reliable source. That's all Alex Wesker. Could be. What of the original <laughs> 11? We'll hold you to that theory, uh, Sean. No problem. <laughs> if Adam Benford in the trailer is saying he will reveal the truth about Raccoon City, it's evidently more to learn about that event. And I just think, you know, thinking about Alex Wesker being in the government is a great theory. Could he have something to do with, was it his call to destroy the city under Spencer's orders? <laughs> You know, it's... Well, Ron Davis was sat on the, if I remember correctly, sat on the committee to destroy it, wasn't he? He was, yeah. I don't think he was the key motivator behind that. He was on the committee, but I don't think he was the ringleader. Perhaps there's more to find out about that. The other thing I would say, um, on IGN there's that rewind trailer, which is always quite good to have. They talk about their usual rubbish, but it's quite good to have because they pause on a lot of points. And what we know from this, well, the C-Var, it seems to be this chrysalis egg thing, seems to spawn the Javo. But then they really point out this carrier of a virus that seems to turn people into zombies. So this virus seems to have two quite different functions in creating BOWs. Yeah, I mean, because there's zombies in tall oaks, isn't there? Whereas in China, it just seems to be mutants who can regenerate their injuries, can't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm intrigued about the virus. I hope it is related to progenitor in some way. I think we know that it, it was discovered in Eastern Europe, I think. That's what it says. I think the government are behind the outbreak, though, because I don't think the government would want the truth about Raccoon City to be revealed, and that's probably why they elected Tall Oaks to kill the president. I think it's certain influential figures in the US government did not want this. He's he's like Martin Sheen's character from The West Wing, you know, President Bartlett, this sort of good-natured, well-intentioned guy who wants to do something like Obama, you know, wants to do something good, and it's like, we can't have this man going on this little crusade. We can't have this guy releasing the truth. Mm. It's the civil servants in the background who have been through all the um, presidencies, wherever they may be, who know more information. A bit like in Men in Black. Is it Men in Black? Independence Day, when the president comes in, he goes, you're not allowed to know about this, sir. Uh, you know, Area 51 and things like that. They know. They know. Chief of staff, you know. Yeah, chief, yeah I... people like that. They know, you know, they don't care who the president is, a Republican or Democrat or miscellaneous. You know, they're just... They yeah. are the government. They are exactly, exactly. So, yeah. Alex Wesker is the guy who takes Leon S. Kennedy on board. He's the voice bombshell. Oh, I was sure you. <laughs> you're throwing him out here. <laughs> so, and he's in charge. And he's one of the original <laughs> eleven as well. Oh. He's the true puppeteer of the series. <laughs> Spencer. I think Spencer was like, uh, well, Alex Wesker was Spencer's, um, you know, guy in the government, really. His contact in the US government. With that in mind, are we taking on board the Lost in Nightmares files as being like 100% canon? So is Alex Wesker in possession of the immortality virus that is mentioned? He must be. Was it a completed immortality virus? Spencer never finds out. He just, I think Wesker just leaves or disappears. What if the C virus was a byproduct of this search for the immortality virus? That's where it came from. Could be. The immortality virus is very similar to the MS virus from Confidential Report. Hey. <laughs> hey. we, we need a little belt sound to ring every time we do that. <laughs> You're as bad as an Outbreak fan, like trying to add relevance to a game that's no longer relevant. It's like it's still it's still good, right? Right? Can't go back and forth about it, right? <laughs> Is there any other points anyone wants to raise about the trailer? I mean, in terms of gameplay, it looks... There's the suggestion, there wasn't, isn't there, wasn't that no you can, you, you can play that. each individual chapter in any order that you like. 
That's true. I read. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I mean, that confused me a bit in terms of how the end scenes would play. Presumably, while you're playing as one character, you would see various cutscenes from the others, uh, you know, so it all interlinks into one, irrespective of which game you play first. So, I mean, I was intrigued by that. Well, IGN did say that upon completion of the main campaign chapters, you unlock Ada's chapter. That would be good. It would also explain a hell of a lot if that is a clone running around for the majority of the game. We have to prepare ourselves for that being the case. It's definitely not Ada, because I don't care what people says. Ada wouldn't do the stuff she does in that trailer. No. She's, really? No. She's manipulative. She's a liar, but I, I don't think she would do that. The thing is, though, she's not actually killing anyone directly. She's presenting Chris with a problem that he has to deal with. No, she does kill his I mean, entire squad. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything in the past, really, that you can infer from Ada to suggest that she wouldn't do some of those things, because I certainly took from her appearances in Resident Evil 4, particularly at the end, that she was, you know, certainly far more in a grey area, you know, rather than whiter than white. She killed Annette in RE2, didn't she? No, Birkin did. I thought she shot her. No, Annette shot Ada. Oh, yeah. Once again, again, your your fandom is brought into question, Nick. (laughs) She draws a gun on, on Leon, doesn't she? And there's every suggestion that she's prepared to pull the trigger. Well, no, because the gun's not loaded. He checks the gun after she's fallen off the railing and he says, oh, it's not even loaded. Does he? Yeah. I don't remember that. He's absolutely right, as always. No, you, you bend down, pick up the gun, and it, and it has that little description. I just don't think Ada would do that. I'd, I'd agree. I'd, I mean, I'm not so averse to the clone situation, as Nick pointed out. You had it with Code Veronica. You've got the leech-formed clones of, you know, reincarnated James Marcus. But it just seems rather pointless to clone that particular character when, you know, any uh, main game Resident Evil 6 is crying out for Ada's appearance. I don't mind, let's say, because obviously she's working with the organisation who may or may not be the government anyway, if she's, say, captured and then taken a blood sample and then cloned and then rapid growth or something like that. But they make a great emphasis about the VHS tape, that's all. Yeah. Then, you know, there's a clear shot in the trailer. This is old footage you're looking at. If they can do the clone thing with Umbrella Chronicles and Sergei and whatnot, then it's not really a big stretch to do a clone of Ada. Really? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too worried about the, the the use of cloning at all. It's just the fact that I'm genuinely concerned that they're going to go. Ah, Ada from RE2 and 4 is Carla. No, I don't think so. I think the real Ada will be in it. I think that's her at the start of the trailer when uh, you just hear the voiceover where she says more games, and it's probably Derek Simmons that says, "Oh, there's something I think you need to know." I think that's the real Ada there. Her real name isn't even Ada Wong anyway, is it? No. Yeah, it's just all, all lies. The only other thing I got from the trailer was Chris's injury. Looks to be extremely severe. Mm. I'm genuinely convinced he's not going to survive this game. I hope not. <laughs> no, <laughs> I look... on the forum, no I mean, I don't mean it in a bad way. I don't, I don't want Chris to die, but I think he should die. I think he should go out in a blaze of glory while Leon has to live with the shame of his cowardice. <laughs> <laughs> no, me and Bats had a... Had a brief discussion on, I think it was the horror, about Chris dying, in effect, to save, you know, the world, and yeah, it, it would be good, but I'd just be annoyed if they sort of gave his character closure at the end of five, then just brought him back into six just to kill him off, that's all. Yeah. They mm. sort of give a nice sign-off to Chris at the end of five, there wasn't really any need for him to be in the series anymore, you know, he's rescued Jill, he's killed Wesker, his job's sort of done, yeah. but then they throw in this dynamic of him versus Leon, and I think 
I think is the best thing in the trailer. Arguably yeah. the best material we've had out of the series in, in years. The prospect of Chris versus Leon is fantastic. Yeah, because there's always been that kind of mutual respect. You see it in Code Veronica and then again in Degeneration, you know, where he talks to Claire about, oh, your brother's a fighter, things like that. And, and then if it's all going to kind of build up to this crescendo that neither one was expecting all over a woman, it's classic cliche, but it's going to be really good in the series. Two fandoms collide. Exactly. <laughs> I, noticed, I noticed that thigh thread's kicked off again, hasn't it? That muscles Jensen or something on... <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Let me just bring it up. Muscles, glasses versus Jensen, Ackles, or Team Chris versus Team Leon. Oh God, it's going to be a fucking Twilight thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well I think that can conclude our discussion on the Captivate trailer. I think that's been quite an in-depth analysis. The demo is coming out fairly soon, so um, we can have a discussion on that when that hits Xbox. I don't think it hits PlayStation straight away. I've got a feeling it's Xbox first, but there we go. Dragon's Dogma. That's the one, yes, isn't it? Oh, which is brilliant, by the way. Okay, and we'll now move on to our main discussion. Resident Evil Dead Aim. Come on! Raccoon City, a Midwestern town in the United States, was destroyed. A substance known as the T-Virus leaked throughout the town. However, Umbrella, the corporation developing the virus, refused to abort the project. Once again, the threat of biological terror was thrust upon the world. A large amount of T-Virus was stolen three days ago when a terrorist group hit an Umbrella lab in France. Yesterday, one of Umbrella's cruisers was hijacked and contaminated with the same virus. game what a game faithful listeners and uh, anyone who knows us will know that we do like dead aim in quite some detail it's one of these forgotten games of the series mainly probably because it's got that survivor tag therefore it cannot possibly be good and yet it is arguably one of the best playing games in the series 
and also in terms of storyline implications, one of the most pivotal. I'd like to completely dispute this suggestion that it's an expanded universe game. I think it's completely arbitrary to suggest that a main game has to be Resident Evil and then a, a numeral after that. It has complete direct consequence to further games. It follows in a direct timeline and has you know, direct references back to Resident Evil 2. So, yeah, I, I don't quite understand this suggestion just simply because it's not Resident Evil 1, 2, 3, 4, etc., that it's part of an expanded universe. You know, you can look at a game like Resident Evil 4, for example, and say that that completely stands alone with the Las Plagas and no direct reference to any, you know, to the T-Virus. So, yeah, I don't know what, it, what, what you guys think about that. It was interesting at the time. So many people dismissed it was not canon. And you're like, why? And it took so much effort. I'm sure it, it really wasn't until Wesker's extra report, which said, oh, a lot of their facilities moved offshore and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's a real indirect link to Dead Aim. And then all of us fans who really like the game go, look, there, there's the clue. But yeah. obviously since then, it's now been very much affirmed in all the timelines in the Dark Side report and things like that. Nick, I mean, if there's going to be a further game after Code Veronica, then... Precisely, it's going to deal with the subject of how Umbrella were going to go forward, having been having operations completely shut down, you know, with that prohibition on them in the United States. So irrespective of it being a gun survivor game, it's dealing directly with the subject matter that it should do for any game that's going to follow Code Veronica. Yeah, exactly. I think it was one of those ones that certainly with the help of Umbrella Chronicles helped bring it all back in and it's a fantastic addition to the series. Not What's only it? for connections, I just felt it was a very confident title in that it, it didn't really, even though it made references to Morpheus being responsible and all this, it was the first game which really stood apart from the main core series with no real connections and it, it, it had its own cast of characters and it just was an outstandingly confident title and it was quite self-contained. I don't think we'll ever see Bruce or Fong Ling again, but that doesn't matter because the storyline's been told and you know, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I think, I think who, who designed it? Does anybody know actually what team worked on it? It was Flagship. I know they wrote it, yeah, but in terms of like, did Mikami's, any of Mikami's team or any, you know, because it, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. Well, it's obviously not Mikami who did it then. <laughs> <laughs> I've got in my head, I'm thinking Sonic Studio 2. Don't quote me on that. It just showed the world for the first time that you didn't need to have Chris Redfield or Leon S. Kennedy to have a brilliant Resident Evil title. Mm. You know, it didn't use the names, the strengths of any previous characters. It was, here's a Resident Evil game in the same universe. It's brilliant. Studio 3, not 2, according to our page. Mr. Spencer, what's your brief impressions of the game? Well, what's already been said, really, is, you know, sums up my opinion. So I agree with a lot of what's been said. It's a good sort of self-enclosed title in the series. It doesn't contradict anything, but, you know, it fits in snugly into the canon. And it even adds to the story. Well, certainly, I mean, yeah, I personally see it as a direct continuation of Hunk's story, but, you know. Mm, maybe, maybe. What made the game for me and certainly placed it among, you know, stalwart survival horror editions in the series was the almost the film The Shining, that the corridors, which in themselves didn't have so particularly ornate decoration, but had that real quiet, sort of sinister eerie atmosphere that kind of reminded me of The Shining, the hotel corridors, you know, with the creaking in the background. As uh, someone who who really loves remake, I I really enjoyed that kind of thick atmosphere, you know, obviously not relying on on action for the scares. Fantastic. 
which for a Lightroom game says a lot. You know, you think it is a shooter game at heart, yet it takes the time to actually put you in situations where it allows the atmosphere to develop. I mean, it's so far away from the likes of the Chronicles games, it's unbelievable. No, quite right, quite right. It's I thought the atmosphere was excellent, especially in down on Benthic Island with the zombies that are on fire. Down that that was excellent and you got a lot of satisfaction in blasting them into smithereens. But again, the, the graphics have all contributed to this unnerving. I'm going deeper and deeper. And then, of course, there's, there's the lab, you know, as is standard. But it did have a nice build-up to, to the end crescendo, and it was, it, was, it was lovely. The end game. It was, yeah, it was great. And I think we could, we could, you could discuss about a long time about the storyline, because obviously that generates a lot of chat. But I think we'll, we'll move up and save that to the end. But what did everyone think of the characters? I mean, for the, I thought they were pretty faceless. They're likeable, though. As much as they don't have a great deal to say about their lives or anything, they're just quite generic in that respect. But I liked Bruce as a yeah, photo, I... and I think that's the best compliment I can give him. You know. <laughs> He's all right. Yeah, there was that sort of cheeky relationship kind of banter going on between him and Fongling, which I actually found it's sort of a little bit more alive than some of the other, you know, kind of characters and the things that go between, you know, Billy and Rebecca, which I just found, you know, completely dull sort of mismatch of of a partnership. I thought these two characters worked really well together, actually. They got it on in the end, didn't they? In the kind of Spy Love Me style ending. Yeah. <laughs> no, tomorrow never dies. Yeah, and that kind of as well, I, I think that ran through the game where he was kind of, for me, he was like a bad boy's Leon, wasn't he? Whereas Leon, you know, refused to get it on with Ashley at the end of RE4 because it was so, you know, terribly unprofessional. He was know. like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally. So, yeah, I like the characters. And, you know, Sean mentions it being a confident game. I mean, they did it before with Alfred Ashford sort of playing with his, you know, feminine side. But I thought Morpheus was a fantastic character with pretty brave, you know, issues going on there for, you know, to be kind of to sort of be drawn upon on a, in, a, in a video game. Morpheus is the, probably the most interesting character. I, I remember very distinctly at the beginning, everyone was talking about a female tyrant and everyone was at Ada before it got released. I still don't understand why they decided to make Morpheus like that. I'm not quite sure of the benefit. It's Japan. There's your answer. I think it sort of flows from his narcissistic tendencies, doesn't it? He was obsessed with beauty. Mm. There had been that sort of previous plastic surgery. You know, nicely ties in with that. Can I, can I say, I like how ironic it is for a man who placed so much emphasis on beauty to mutate into that blob thing at the end that was the complete antithesis of beauty. Ah, well, there's that thing, isn't there? The suggestion that during his second form, Morpheus was consumed by hate rather than, you know, previously to his desires for beauty in a kingdom, you know, where that holds all power. And, you know, there's that linking with Wesker's report where he comments on uh, how an individual's sort of internal consciousness and, you know, what's going on in their psyche, how that can then affect the development of their, of their mutations, which is why Morpheus initially, you know, mutated into a, a female form type of tyrant with, you know, question marks over whether that tyrant refers to it being from the T-virus or just, you know, a humanoid bow. But didn't he have, like, a sex change before he mutated? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, he, it is specifically referenced that he had plastic surgery and then, obviously, on the FMV, he has, you can see that he's got breasts. And do we have a bead on what his nationality was? Yeah, do we know? French. Well, was actually French? He worked... didn't work in France, though, did he? Um, Deval's a French name, though, isn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah, but then Robert Deval. 
But he, he, he has kind of like a sort of an English accent. Yeah, he does actually. To be fair, that's a very good point. He has a very English accent. He's certainly not American though, doesn't he? he goes, you stupid Americans. Is that right? If I remember. Yeah. Why you American spies use such ugly guns? That's a mystery yeah. to me. <laughs> we'll just say European, I guess. That's a nice broad term we could use for now. What does Morpheus mean as well when he says the symbol of power is in Africa? Oh, uh, there's one of the many theories, wasn't it? And everyone was like, "Oh, perhaps there's more links back to Resident Evil 5 before that came out." Everyone's like, "Oh, perhaps there's the links. Perhaps there's the links." There wasn't quite that link we were looking for, but he it? was right though. There was a symbol of power in Africa, progenitor. He was all about the flower, wasn't he? He was. Sunflower. I can't help if it was more coincidence than anything else. But, but what a brilliant coincidence! It's like it was all pre-planned right from the very beginning. <laughs> by Alex Wesker. Yeah, by Alex Wesker. <laughs> <laughs> well, there has been that Africa link for a very long time, though, hasn't there? In the series. Even in RE0 as well, there was the... We planets. couldn't even do that right. We tried to do that, but then other black people complained it was racist and we couldn't do it like that, you know, what we wanted to do. Going back, just someone clarify for me. <laughs> what is exactly, what was Morpheus's job role in Umbrella? Because like, I've got a note written here that he worked on the island. Someone remind me of the name of the island. Gentlemen, this is my claim to fame. This is my non-canon entry into the entire series. I decided to name it Benthic. Benthic, okay. Because that's brilliant. Well, he worked there in 1997. That's from files within the game. He was in charge. He was sort of supervisor, wasn't he? In charge of of waste management and... And he was rubbish, yeah. rubbish at the job. And completely preoccupied with other things. And um, there's the discrepancy in terms of when he was dismissed and the actual you know, occurrences of um, outbreaks that were on the island. I mean, initially, when you saw that fog and you've been found to have been grossly negligent for the outbreak in the Arclay Mountains or whatnot, and you're like, this is, feels extremely shoehorned in. But then you stop and think about it, and it, and it kind of does work. Well, I always figured that as being a, you know, a, a business in any business in the world. If they've not got someone to blame, they will find someone to blame, and he just. Yeah, but it's the. Um... He was negligent, wasn't he? He was. He was a negligent supervisor. Yeah, he was. It's, it's just why? Why was he not sacked upon? I think it was Alpha, wasn't it? The monster that escaped. Yeah. Why wasn't he sacked then? And obviously, there's the suggestion that Umbrella kept him in their pocket for you know, use as a scapegoat, you know, should should they need to at some point in the future. I like, I think, is it Welsh's suggestion that it was William Birkin that sort of put, put him up as a scapegoat uh, for Umbrella, you know, it, sort of in order to, um, you know, hide his own... Agenda. Yeah, yeah. You know, his botched assassination of uh, James Marcus, you know, particularly Spencer and William Birkin would have nothing to gain in James Marcus suddenly turning up again. So, um, it was, you know, Morpheus was kind of ideal for them. But that links in very nicely with the CCTV footage of the young James Marcus slash Leech. Yeah, they, they, they look very similar. Looking very similar. So yeah, absolutely. Whether that's the, the developer's intention, probably not. But again, works very nicely. It is a great theory as to why he would have been fired. It may not just be the scapegoat that we all thought initially, but was a, a more clever, conniving plot by Birkin to get rid of him for whatever reason. It worked. It did, it was clever, if if that's indeed the case. And of course we've got the virus, the TG virus, which has been shown to be a localisation error, but was in fact the T antibody fused with the G virus, which is interesting because... We've known this for some time though, haven't we? The T antibody, that's been fairly common knowledge. I didn't know that, to be fair. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I thought it was... No, that leads on to a very, very good question that Bats actually, or... uh... 
John, sorry, brought up on the Project Umbrella forum earlier. Cheers. You commented it in Nick. In, in, in. I know I did, but I'm bummed up. <laughs> for, the, for the benefit of the listeners who don't. Basically, I wondered where the TG virus was stolen from. Everybody thinks it was taken from the uh, the Paris lab, but the emergency fax file just states that three T virus samples were stolen. It doesn't mention anything about a you know a special prototype or a new virus being taken. And you would have thought could it, could it not be three T virus variants, and one of that variant would have, would be the T antibody? Well, yeah, possibly, but you would have thought it would have said that or, you know, alluded to it somehow. But you've also got to remember that Spencer Rain was being used as a showcase an auction house, and they already had the uh, T091 tyrant on board, so it, again, it makes sense that the TG virus was actually on board with... Oh yeah, I mean, it makes absolutely sense that the virus would be on board. We certainly don't see, there's no reference to Morpheus actually finding it. You know, he's quick to take the file out when, in order to save his life when, uh, you know, he thinks he's on the way out. And uh, this is his sort of immortality virus. And there's no suggestion that he even knows, certainly if he doesn't know, certainly if he does know the virus that he's injecting with, he doesn't know the, you know, the outcome of that virus and what it's going to do to him. Yeah, which, again, is that virus injection into anyone? Could that someone be created a tyrant slash humanoid creature just like that? Or does he, in fact, have special genes in the same manner as Sergei did, which caused him to turn into a tyrant? Looks a lot like Sergei. There's similarities, isn't there? But again, it's something that's never really answered. Unless you, you, know, you need a lot of people being injected to it. Would any other person? But with regards to um, you know Morpheus taking the TG virus from Paris, I I don't buy it. As much as there probably is sources, I alluded to this in the forum earlier today, if he got the TG virus before sort of the game began, there is no point in taking the Spencer Rain at all. It actually makes that completely null and void, because his missiles were at Benthic Island, mm. and he stole the T virus samples from the Paris lab, why not just go straight back to the island and launch the missiles? Why even involve the boat in the first place? Because all he's done then is draw Bruce and Fong Ling to the boat, which then takes them to the Benthic Island, and through that they thwart his plan. It's just... I makes... think there's a suggestion, isn't there, that he took the boat to kind of draw attention... There's a revenge the... mission. As a decoy, it's completely hopeless. It, it just doesn't work. Uh, yeah, no, I wasn't necessarily thinking as a decoy, more kind of bring the eyes of the world you know, upon him. Again, he was driven by vengeance as well against yeah. him. So I don't know if he's judging... Ego. Ego as well was clouded yeah. his judgement. I was convinced that he also wanted revenge on Umbrella for sacking him. I'm sure that's well documented as well. Just, isn't it just to a massive a coincidence, though, that of all the, the cruise liners he could have hijacked, not only has he just got a TG virus sample from Paris, but he's also hijacked the boat, which is going to showcase it. It's just, unless it is just all a big vengeance thing, I, I just don't really know. It, it think... just doesn't sit right with me no. that... What sources do we have? There's no sources that he took the TG virus from Paris. No, Welsh claims that he took it. I've got it here in front of me. Welsh wrote it was stolen from a safe in the Paris laboratory by a former employee of the branch. There's no source for that. Well, Welsh wouldn't write it if he didn't have a source, surely. But then there's the other side of the coin. If the TG virus was always on the ship and he already had stocks of the T virus on Benthic Island, why would he raid the Paris lab? Why not just... In fact, the ship. I remember speaking to El Bastardo about that. It seemed very, you know, considering he's basically got control of an island that's crawling with BOWs. 
why does he need samples of the T virus unless just to make a statement? Again, you know, if he, sure, it's bound to have. You know, it's a, it's a lack. Yeah, but there would have been a, a certain amount of time between him being dismissed by Umbrella and then raiding the Paris lab. Well, it's four years, wasn't it? And if he'd been sacked by Umbrella four years ago, how would he even know the TG virus existed? So effectively, it's just something that he coincidentally came across on, on the back. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's the only logical conclusion. And his injection of the virus was just effectively, you know, once of a, a dying man's sort of last desperate... Yeah, just like Birkin yeah. was. Yeah. Because he mentions his you know, his kingdom of beauty in Africa or whatever, but he never makes any reference to this TG virus being important to his plan. No, no, it's very true. You know, he could very, very likely have come across one of those brochures for the elite hunters for the T09, and, you know, there's that confidential bit which uh, specifically relates to the TG virus, so he could certainly have found that and known of its existence, and then if he'd come across one of those, then obviously then have known of its capabilities, you know, to produce that electric field. I mean, yeah, there's lots of plot points in the game. It took quite a long time. In El Bastardo's editorial, they even talk about the Red Queen, and after he was sacked, he still had access to the island, and he went back there. I think we theorised that he went back there. And that's the biggest problem with Dead Aim. It's it's probably the most difficult title in the entire series in terms of putting together all the backstory because we're given so little information. Even the way the game starts is very fragmented. Did it ever throw anybody that you're given the introduction by Bruce, it's a voiceover, and then all of a sudden we're on Spencer Rain and Morpheus has a gun to his head? It... Yeah, I almost felt like it was starting halfway through. Yeah. It, it completely throws you, and by the time you've sort of run down the first corridor, you've forgotten about it, but by the end of the first cutscene, Morpheus has been effectively killed by a hand grenade. It's, it's a really bizarre way to begin a game. Yeah. It really is. That's a good point. Didn't think of it. I never thought of it like that. Now, I know you're sort of kind of thrown in right at the action, and again, you kind of get this idea that a lot has gone on before you know you, you take on the character. It's, it's a heartback, really, to Survivor, isn't it? Because, again, with Survivor, you wake up. In the original, you wake up just on the street, and then there is that flashback of, Very the, true, that. of the fight with the, you know, with mm. Vincent on the helicopter, and then falling off. So it's a bit similar in that regard. But in, in Dead Aim, you never get to see how he got onto the Spencer Rain and how he ended up being caught at the end of the boat. Did he encounter zombies beforehand? Probably not. If not, why not? Did he just literally just get jumped off a helicopter, landed on the deck, go right, let's go, gun to your head? <laughs> you know, brilliant, well done. Did you guys ever play it with the um, subtitles on as well? Oh, they never matched up, did they? No, which makes me wonder, is the subtitles a more direct translation of the original Japanese? Which, in terms of canon, which do you go by? Because there are subtle differences here and there. Not, you know, story-defying ones, but differences nonetheless. I've never, never had an in-depth look at them, actually. Good point. Mr. Spencer, I have to ask, how does the Spencer Rain compare to the Queen Zenobia? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's they're both good vessels. <laughs> um, but Revelations has got, well, this Queen Zenobia, rather, has much better crew. <laughs> does it? <laughs> yeah. I think they use provide a, a much better service than zombies. You know, it's it's first class. <laughs> well, I, we could move on to the bowels, the BOWs. Um... To the bow of the ship. To the bow of the ship. I thought the zombies in the game were really quite cool. Yeah, it actually worked quite well. That was like a l- bow of the ship. There's bows on the ship. It's a seamless link. When you shoot, you get a kick out of shooting the zombies. If you True. get that headshot and they go flying back against the wall. And the amount of blood goes everywhere. It's really cool. I thought so. Dead Aim, you know, and this is where we get into the actual gameplay aspect of it. Dead Aim 
is sort of the champion of the series moving into the new generation for me. It, it saddens me when I see Res 4 get praised for things Res Dead Aim did first. And mm-hmm. a big thing of, with that was Dead Aim introduced this notion of, you know, going into sort of a proper aiming perspective when you're actually in combat, a third-person perspective for puzzling. And yeah. um, it did it with zombies. And Res 4 can never... You know, never, never be able to say that, and it it created just as much an atmosphere that Mikami claimed wasn't possible. You know, it's true because you know they kept it dark, they kept it dingy, the music was quite creepy, and it had that tense atmosphere. And even in first person, it, it you know the action lasted what five seconds, if that. Bam, 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 like well, that. It, it's something that years on, Revelations and Mercenaries 3D has actually done. Mercenaries 3D and Revelations has done the first person aiming, which Dead Aim introduced yeah, was it 2003, yeah. you know, nine years ago. I thought it was a good addition. Kind of felt like the series was moving forward slightly or kind of, you know, toying with different sort of game formats. For me, it kind of made the combat feel more intense. You know, they, they certainly thought about it, the developers, because the zombies in Dead Aim, you know, they have that more sporadic, sort of awkward movements, don't they? They did, they, they did, yeah. They, they kind of surprise you with sort of more variance on their movements, and they certainly move faster, and, uh, you know, that first-person combat felt intense for me, and, um, yeah, kind of obviously married the two gameplays together, first-person, third-person, you know, in a way that just completely wasn't done or appreciated in Resident Evil 5. I like that little warning you get as well, that little sort of beep when it yeah. says you're going to get bit by someone to your right or your left. To your left, yeah. Shit, boo, boo. It's interesting. I remember when I first arrived at uni, someone was actually playing Resident Evil Dead Aim, who's not a Resident Evil fan, because they had the gun cotton, the gun, and was playing in it. And it felt really odd that someone was playing my franchise, if you like. You know, how, you know not how dare you, but I was, I was really pleased. And he was like, oh no, it's a wicked game, it's a wicked game. I've got, you know, got Time Crisis 4 or whatever it was back at the time, but I bought Dead Aim, fucking awesome. And he was going around with it, you know, using the, I'm not sure, I never played with the gun comms, so I can't really see how it was. It's awful. Is it actually awful? He loved yeah, it. It's not too bad till you get to boss fights and then you realise, because most of the boss fights you do in first person and sort of circle strafe, if you like. Right. And trying to do that on a gun is it's just hilarious. In other battles, they got the the hunters, the hunter elites were considered the best hunters ever made by Umbrella. Certainly, their last improved ones, because the hunter deltas weren't really improvements; they were just recycled alphas for a new market. Was that true? Was that right? Would you say that's right? They look retarded. Yeah, they have a certain cartoonish 
yeah. to design to them. I mean, they're, they're certainly harder to put down. I, they I, were, yeah. I found the actual combat with them was actually fine and top-notch, and they it certainly matched up with their name. But, uh, yeah, the actual design was almost sort of kind of like out of a graphic novel and didn't fit with any of the other design of the game, which I thought was fantastic and was spot on. But, no, it was all the elites, kind of, they failed on that level. I don't know. I mean, I, I thought the halberd, the halberd, whatever you want to do, you know, the giant wasp, fine. The alpha, fine. You know the Nautilus and Torpedo kids. Yeah, they know. were a bit weird. A bit weird. I mean, after a lot. What of... they do, what they do to you, like that humping motion, was quite weird. <laughs> I mean, I it's a sea, probably a sea squirt is what it is. It's the closest thing it could be, and I think they do reproduce asexually, which is the possible thing of what a bloody torpedo kid is. But it was a very odd thing to have. You know, why why not just have? Well, I suppose you got the glimmers. They're okay. I like the glimmers. See them as a sort of advanced version of a lurker. Yeah. It was kind of Lurker and the Gamma Hunters, weren't they? And the, I tell you what, the glimmers were actually quite difficult, weren't they? They used to jump on you and then just vomit yeah, up. I was referring to, yeah, it's an odd kind of humping motion. Oh, so, oh right, sorry, you're talking about the glimmers, that's what the torpedo yeah, is. Yeah, no, yeah, it was when they kind of jump onto your back, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah the, the glimmers were cool in the dark, again, again with, with that, that kind of red, hazy, laser eyes-like thing. That they I love that, because you had that in Code for Correct with the two zombies on your way back through the facility, didn't you? And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of thought they could have used that a little bit more. The glimmers weren't even BOWs, were they? They were. I think there's a file saying uh, they were discovered actually at the facility. Rumored to be subspecies of the hunter program, but it's possible that perhaps like gammas, gamma hunters were disposed there and they kind of maybe evolved. But yeah, they were discovered there. Again, my theory, one of my theories was put into El Bastardo's thing was the fact that this place was more like a zoo and you know people just went to dispose of creatures and whatnot there and they just kind of left to their own devices. But the issue is, when did the T-virus outbreak occur? Because there was a T-virus outbreak. You know, because the, the file suggests that it actually happened first in 1997, well before the first outbreak in the Arclay Mountains. Didn't the escape of Alpha cause the outbreak? Well, uh, you don't know. I mean, I presume, why, why yeah, would it? Why do presume that kind of the ensuing havoc, uh, you know, a BOW on the rampage of that size would cause, would possibly, you know, would have kind of, you know, samples would have been destroyed, you know, well, the first outbreak. The first, there's a factory worker's diary in it, yeah. and that's dated '97, I think, where he's infected. That usually in a Resident Evil game suggests that the whole the shit hits the fan. Yeah, yeah. But my theory was that that wasn't the case because the zombies there are, are quite fresh in the facility. There's fires going on. You can't, you can't tell what these fires were going on for four years or five years or whatever. So my suggestion was these are perhaps Morpheus followers who got to the island before Morpheus, who were then subsequently infected by him when he arrived, and think, or you know, something of that extent. So when you've got that, that file saying that he was infected in 97, he was, but it was contained, it was controlled, he was shot, he was killed, and, and it just carried on as normal until he, you know the, the, the island was shut down. I stand by that theory. We've got another problem in the, uh, is it the biological report too, where the workers talking about observing the torpedo kids and the glimmers. Yeah. You've got dates, but you've got no year, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some people believe they were written in 1997. Some people believe they were written in 2002, so. I think I went on the 2002. What did you have in your timeline, Sean? Can you remember? God, I can't. I'd have to drag it up, but I think most of my dates were circa 2002, yeah. Yeah. I well, didn't diverge more very far from the game because there was just... Well, hold on. When there was, was no evidence. When did the architect finish the biosphere? Never any date given, I don't think. 
because I theorised that perhaps it was all the architect workers who were working down there, the one they told you can go now, and then they all infected as they walked up. Yeah. Deep underground. That, well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Because I think he says, doesn't he? He says we finished building the missile bay, but HQ is unaware. Yeah, it's unaware that we're doing it. They think this island... So it would make sense for Morpheus to kill him. It would. What about, I mean, we're talking about the biosphere. What did everyone think of the actual island itself? I mean, Mr. Spencer's giving his loving rendition of what he thinks of the Spencer rain. <laughs> what about the, the, the actual island? We see very few of the surface. The moment you arrive on the island and Bruce walks across the surface through derelict buildings, some of the best atmosphere the series has ever conjured, I think. Yeah. And it makes me sad we go into the sewers or, you know, the underground after that because, honestly, the cutscene, and, and it must be said, the cutscenes in Dead Aim are fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. so amongst the series' best, it must be said, in terms of direction and how well they are, you know, yeah. how, how well they're constructed yes. is brilliant. And the island itself, what a fantastic place that would have been to walk around. Yeah. And it's just so sad. We never get all we get is a thirty second cutscene. You see warehouses, don't you, and water towers, yeah. but the whole fantastic. place just looks totally abandoned. You know what would be really cool if it turned out to be the island where um Alex West goes. All of the sort of top side of the island you get is sewer tunnels and it's so disappointing. Mm. Because the cutscene promises so much more. And I just think it's budget reasons, perhaps. It can't have been a very well-funded game. No. I suppose it resembled a bit like the island in Resident Evil 4. It bore some resemblance from the top. I think if I was an umbrella worker and I had my pick of working at any location from any of the games, Benthic Island would be the last place I'd want. (laughs) (laughs) It's the North Atlantic. It's bound to be freezing cold. And horrible. Okay, we're going to move on to canonicity. We've, we've, we've touched upon how people were very reserved about the game and how unconnected it was, but you know, we say no, we say no. We say it's very... I mean, didn't a lot of that have to do with the mistranslation of the virus names so that it was initially thought that this was, it was just a, a combination of the T virus and the G virus, which on the face of it is just, you know, a rather sort of weak plot line. That's possible. I, I, that and combined the fact that it was a Survivor story and, and people still question whether or not Survivor was Well, its were had been, you know, obviously absolutely appalling, particularly Survivor 2, so I can understand why there would have been, I mean, certainly I would have had very little enthusiasm for the game based on its predecessors. No, 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 I like Survivor 1. The brilliant thing was Dead Aim came a few months after Zero, which confirmed Survivor's existence. Yeah, exactly. But it's canon, isn't it? This is not even up for debate. I don't, I don't see why it would be. I mean... I mean, there's no specific contradictions, are there? Apart from the suggestion that if it was a T-virus antibody, then how did Morpheus transform into a tyrant? But then there's, you know, the suggestion that he didn't humanoid form bow. It all fits rather nicely, because obviously Umbrella were in dire straits with the business suspension order. So you've got Umbrella operating on this ship, you know, it's got VIPs in it, it's got TV personalities, and, you know, it's like a big cover story, and then all the while you've got this secret auction going on. Yeah, I love. I just love the idea of it. You know, I love that. I love that presentation room where you see the booth with the little umbrella logo and the four stasis tubes, and you've got like the where the seats where the audience would sit, and you can just imagine, you know, terrorists and government representatives sitting there bidding for these BOWs. It's just brilliant. It was. It was a lovely, nice, nice surprise on the Spencer Rain, and it worked so well, didn't it? It didn't feel forced. It felt this is exactly what Umbrella would be doing. Yeah. And you had all the files that were saying, oh yeah, this room's off limits to the crew and nobody knew what was going on in there. And you had that secret staircase that led up to the Titanic rip-off ballroom thing. 
Oh, did it? I can't remember that bit. Yeah, because there was there was a hidden room that some of the files say there must be a hidden room in there because people are going in and out, but we don't know how. And you see crates being taken in there, and someone spotted one with the biohazard symbol on it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, red symbol. Yeah. But yeah, that's exactly why I kind of just think it does the game a disservice, suggesting that it's a expanded universe game because, as, as you say, it directly deals with how Umbrella would have to have financially survived post that US prohibition. Exactly, exactly. And and it also ties in nicely as well. Once the ship's destroyed, Umbrella's lost its new prototype product. It's lost all its clients and you know all its contacts, and that's re- that really put an end to any chance of recovery the company had. Bar Talos, yeah. which is going to be his last ace in the hole. Yeah, what I would have really liked, I know it, the, the ship was full of Umbrella execs, if they had actually named some from like you know Joel Alman or whatever and things like that, that would be nice. But I've been asking quite a bit. Yeah. I'd hope that Christine Henry was on there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Things like that have been so awesome. Uh, has anyone got any other points they'd like to raise? I, I mean, I like the suggestion in terms of what became of the TEG virus, because it certainly, I, I mean, I'm, I'm no virologist, but it seems to, to me to be their, certainly their most successful, certainly more commercially viable than the G virus. Yeah, there's a suggestion maybe that the, the OD samples went, you know, were, were destroyed during the game. Well, what you've got to remember is that the whole point of the combination of the two viruses slash antibodies was to create electrical properties it wasn't as if they put it together and he goes oh look it makes electric they purposely went out with that set goal of doing that i thought the goal was to stabilize the g yeah that's what i was going to say i think it was a two-pronged thing wasn't it they were looking at how they could tame these you know uncontrollable mutations the g virus was a fucking disaster really wasn't it and so you know that's why i think it makes absolutely sense that this team virus antibody it was well, perfect G- i mean g virus was awesome but it was not commercially viable no as, it, as a business not, model you know no no not at all so well, that fits in perfectly with you know the idea of this neutralization process where these antibodies are introduced so yeah it, it seemed to have been a major success compared to you know what had gone in the past so um yeah i think it's a, certainly a shame that we don't see it come up again in the in the series so we've also had since, well, re- fairly recently, the discovery that Birkin wanted to create G-humans, you know, as opposed to what he turned into when he injected the G-virus was not what he wanted. He he was hoping to breed, a bit like what Spencer did, a breed of superhumans, which he would call G-humans. So the, another suggestion was, was Morpheus, a person who had the similar traits to become a G-human. Is that what they would look like? What, just a tyrant? He was the first they never got round to administering the TG virus, did they? they? They were looking for their first specimen, but I don't think they actually came across one. Morpheus was the first. No, no, TO91 is a TG virus carrier. Well, an infectant. That was the first variant. That was the first version, not the second. The no, second no, no, yeah, the, the, with the O91. That one didn't generate an electromagnetic field, I don't think. No, it, it didn't. Too, I think it was too low, wasn't it? And had the exposed organs. But the second variant, 0.2, 0.02, that hadn't been tested on any, anyone yet until Morpheus injected it. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Still begs the question, though, again, is, is it a T-virus mutation or a G-virus mutation? Certainly the, the second one is a G-virus, certainly taking over. Because he, even after you kill him, he doesn't die. You know, you shoot him with a magnum in the head that pokes out randomly and then the game ends or whatnot. But he doesn't die. He starts mutating. He gets even bigger. He gets to the size of the island and then he's only blown up. He's only destroyed through the missiles that go off that jump into him, fly into him. I suppose there's a suggestion that further damage sort of negates the effect of the antibody. You know, the G-Virus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the G-Virus takes over and he turns into 
you know, a, a typical G creation. Mm. So he's destroyed by his own missile. He is, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You've got to look at the videos. You, you do see he, he becomes huge, absolutely gigantic. It's uh, just ironic that he's killed by his own missiles. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that would happen to a Bond villain, though, wouldn't it? Well, not have him turn into a big blob. Well, killed by his own... Well, yeah, hoist by his own petard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he is a Bond villain, isn't he, Morpheus? I'd say he's a bit of a Bond villain. Oh, very much so, yeah, yeah. An idealist. Okay, we also had some calling from Project Umbrella member Breakman.exe, but he calls himself Breakman, so let's take a listen to that as well. Hello, gentlemen. My name is Breakman. I'm a relatively new member to Project Umbrella. So far, very much like the place, but uh, enough about me. Uh, Let's talk Dead Aim, uh, which I assume you have already been doing quite a bit of. It's a very, very polarizing game, isn't it? I mean, people either seem to love it or hate it. Um, Me, personally, I am in the former boat. Um, Got the game shortly after it came out uh, here in America. Thankfully, I had a... um, uh, I had a GunCon controller available after having got Time Crisis 2 on the PS2. I I was honestly really put down by the... Well, after having played the game myself, I was really kind of disappointed with the reviews that I had seen on the game come out around that time. Oh, the controls are absolutely terrible. Uh, 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 a slap in the face to the the legacy of uh, all the Resident Evil games that were all good until this one, which is not good. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, okay, story aside, I mean, we all know the story is kind of uh, eh, all over the place. I mean, it has good points to make within the story, but... I think we can agree that the actual process of storytelling in the game, well, well, maybe it's just me, but I, I just feel like the process of storytelling in the game is pretty sloppy, but as far as the actual gameplay goes, I feel that that's some of the strongest that the series has had, especially considering the fact that um, it's you that's actually aiming the gun. I, I love light gun games, and I thought the game, as far as it being a game, was actually done really well, and it was really disheartening to hear all these reviewers coming out and saying that that it was just total crap. My guess is that these same reviewers were not using the gun con. I I don't understand why you would even do that in the first place. The the game tells you that it's meant to be played with the gun con. Why would you not use the gun con to review the game? I don't know, but I love the game. It's great. I really don't have much to ask you guys about as far as, like, plot or anything like that. Um, although I am in the middle of uh, reading Theorists Never Die. Uh, pretty good so far. Um, nice theories, uh, good facts to back them up. Shout out to El Bastardo for making that happen. Could I just say here, I appreciate a man who appreciates Time Crisis and a gun con gun. Uh, you know, like, light gun shooters are just great. Well, it's interesting that he uh, he loves the game with a gun con, whereas... Well, I played with a gun con. I agree. I felt the game came alive with a controller and was nerfed with a gun con. Well, that's because you don't play Time Crisis, because you're not I have a man. Played t- I've got the Virtual Cop games. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've won, you've won some respect back with that I've remark. got Virtual Cop Elite and the G-Con 2. Oh, you've got the Elite Edition. Oh, I've been trying to find that for ages. Um, and, you know, and I'm a big fan of Lightroom games. I've got, you know, G-Con 2, their name. Yeah, you couldn't do your, your circle strafing in the bosses. You, you know, you can do the bosses nearly in exclusive first person, and you can't do it with a G-Con. It's just impossible. How did you do it? 
I'm going to have to ask, and we probably talk about this more when we do the Survivor podcast, but did anyone ever play Survivor with a Guncom 1? Yeah, now, it's even worse. That must have been disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, thank God you've got infinite ammo, because you have to shoot, don't you, to go forward or something ridiculous. No, you, you, you sh- I think you pull the trigger twice and hold it to walk forward. Oh, dear. Oh, that sounds That's a nightmare. Oh. And then you use the, if you remember, the G-Com 1 had a grenade button on either side of the gun. Oh, yeah. For time, yeah. For time Crisis games or whatever. Or I think it, no, I think Die Hard Trilogy was the first game that used it. Oh, yeah, this, this Die Hard, this, the second one of that was a light gun. Yeah, shooter. it was, Just yeah. And what, what you had to do was you had to double tap the trigger and hold it and then press the grenade button on either yes, side of the gun I know, to turn yeah, yes, left I or right. Know. It was yeah, horrible. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean now. I, I played that and the grenades in that game were so good, they just cleared the screen of enemies. <laughs> if you didn't use the gun for Survivor, it was a perfect first-person Resident Evil. Brilliant. Well, with absolutely shocking graphics and yeah. voice acting. <laughs> Should we just listen to Breakman's Resident Evil 6 Captivate trailer? Yep. Sure. I guess you guys will also be talking about the um, uh, the Captivate trailer that came up recently. Um Wow, what is there to say about that that hasn't already been said, and uh, by folks much more um, eloquent than myself? Just, um, well, I guess you guys are probably already talking about it, or will be talking about it, but, um, and I guess, you know, I'll hear this by the time the podcast goes up, but what do you guys think about all this? I mean, it's interesting to get all of this confirmation out of this one trailer, uh, especially considering the... um, uh, the information that was leaked on what was it, GameFAQs, like uh, uh, around January, I think it was. Well, we have confirmation on uh, Jake Mueller or Mueller. On, frankly, I'm not certain on how to actually pronounce that name, but. And then we have uh, Ada acting kind of out of character, so. Carla Radame or Radame? Again, I don't know. I'd have to hear someone else say it. <laughs> but, um. Interesting stuff. I, I I especially really enjoy the um, uh, the theory that's been going on in the forums about uh, Chris potentially being really badly injured. This game could either be a really great shining example of quality in the series, or they could pull out all the worst tropes in the book and just really disappoint me. Obviously, you. I'm sure you're the same. You're probably hoping for. The former rather than the latter. Um, yeah, again, not really much that I can say that hasn't been already said, but um, I'm interested in hearing your guys' takes on it. Yeah, so, uh, I well, that's really all that I have to say here. I won't take up any more of your time. Just know that I'm enjoying the podcast. Please keep them coming, and I'll continue listening. Have a good night. That's an example of the ideal listener right there. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a very good point, you know, as we discussed a bit earlier on in the podcast. We are confused as the rest of us. And, and we're all teetering on the brink. It could go one of two ways at this moment. And at the moment, for me, it's weighing too much. Oh, dear. And I, I just hope that the, the Leon v. Chris storyline can save it from being cliched. He just highlighted the point which most people are feeling, I think, in the forums. It's that Chris being injured is a genuinely brilliant thing in this series because it, it shows that, I suppose more than anything, it shows that our heroes are vulnerable at last. Mm. I know we had Jill dying potentially in Res 5, but then she came back all superhuman and everything. And, you know, we're seeing a bit of mortality. I, I, I alluded to 
something in on the horrors alive that wouldn't it be great if chris has got an injury which is just purely natural as a result of banging his head or something and that or punching boulders yeah after all these years of of fighting bioweapons it's something natural like you know internal bleeding that kills him it it, it would just be so ironic for such a heroic character that in the end just has no time because he's just he's dying of something purely natural it's like the death well as I said it's like the death of Desmond Llewellyn died in a car crash didn't he hmm very sad. That's cute from James Bond. Sorry, how's that similar? Because he designed, he did loads of, you know, all, all he did in the James Bond series was make cars and gadgets, and then he goes and dies in a car crash. Well, he didn't make the cars. I, you, you <laughs> made, like, gadgets. <laughs> he didn't make the fucking car. <laughs> what, do you think he, you think he bottled that together in his shed in the back garden or something? You know what that I mean? He, he, he modified all the Astons. There's a degree of unpleasant irony that he died. Well, what's in ironic? Like, the only ironic part is the fact that he was 85. He could have died any day now of old age, and he was killed in a car crash. <laughs> Fine, I stand corrected. And on that note, we'll move on to Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. Five questions, three participants, and one topic. It's Neptune and Newsy's. Biohazard Quiz! Okay, I've got a quick recap of the scores. Batman, you are currently in the lead on 16 points. Mr. Spencer, you're second with 10. And George Trevor, you are last or third on 7. He's seven. last. He's last. Stars Tyrant, I know you love to play along and you always post <sighs> your scores. You'll be joining the illustrious board if you want to play along with us. I assume you know the rules. Are you pinching uh, uh, my words again? I've been listening. I'm rubbish. No, about... no, you'll be fine. No, just don't do what Zombie Fred did last time and just, just share the answers before. <laughs> I got a massive knot out of five last time. <laughs> even though, <laughs> even though he said the answer. Uh, yeah, even though. <laughs> well, good luck with everyone, and we'll start with question number one. Everyone, get their desktops clear, pens and paper at the ready. We'll start. I'm using Notepad. You're using Notepad, right? <laughs> question number one. Describe Fon Ling's tattoo. In Resident Evil Dead Aim. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Wait, I knew it was going to be a Dead Aim question. I wonder how you got that question. It just came to me in the middle of the night. That's amazing. Fong Ling's tattoo. Yes. Describe it. Right, I'm going to put that as a punt. Okay. It's got to be broadcastable, John, remember. <laughs> All right, I can't put that then. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to question number two. This is probably the hardest question. There's two marks available, two points available for this, if you get an exact date. And this question comes from Vito. On what date was the first draft of George Romero's screenplay for the first Resident Evil movie completed? Jesus what? Christ. What <laughs> <laughs> fucking question is that? What? You said what? these questions weren't hard. No, no, I said, <laughs> I said, I said, I said another question. Vito might as well just have said, you know, what, what sandwich was I eating in 1985 <laughs> behind the bike seat? <laughs> fucking hell. Questions. What sandwich were you eating back in 1985? <laughs> What was the manufacturer of Spencer's ventilator? <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't blame me. He, he personally PM'd me with this one. Um, oh, he's a bastard. <laughs> he's a bastard. Now, I can give you a clue. What clue should I give you? 
There is no clue you can give. I I don't think there is really, is it? It's in 1998. So, one mark for the month, one mark for the day. Jesus Christ. That's ridiculous. (laughs) I'd rather have the Spencer's ventilator question. (laughs) There we go. It's a good question, but there you go. Uh, Question number three. What is the name of the bar in Operation Raccoon City? The bar. There's a bar. There it is. I spotted it. Well, that doesn't count because it's non-canon. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It does count. Uh, fucking Operation Raccoon City. Screw you over yet again. <laughs> right, everyone got an answer? No. No? Have a guess. Question number four is from Resident Evil 3. The goddess of time puzzles in Resident Evil 3 uses three balls. One oh. ball is the crystal ball. Name the other two. Half a point for each. Boom! Wait, 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 these are the three clocks on the wall? Yeah, it's the goddess of time puzzle, you've you got to put it in the three statue things, isn't it? And you've, they're not balls, they're like, sort of, like, semi-precious stones. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Good well, question, but you described it very poorly. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> One is crystal, name the other two. Are they both, like, precious me- precious stones? No. They're just the shape, they're kind of like a, yeah, like a, te- oh. like a teardrop shape. And they make a nice little kind of plinky-plonky sound when you put them in there. Yep, okay. <laughs> and finally, question number five. In Resident Evil Director's Cut, where do you find the Star Crest? Can you just repeat that, please, Nick? In Resident Evil Director's Cut, oh. where do you find the Star Crest? Okay, and that concludes the quiz. Join us after this, and we'll run through the answers. <laughs> Everyone's seeking the trailer, making fans wait and fester. Introducing us to Junior, well, we already have Alex Wesker. Maybe it could be Carla, and Chris is filled with malice. As long as there is no cloning of the movie character Alice. Okay, and welcome back to Neptune and UC's Biohazard Quiz, where we're going to run through the answers and see what everyone's got. So, question number one was, describe Fon Ling's tattoo in Dead Aim. What did you put the Batman? Uh, I don't know. It's some sort of red Chinese symbol on her arm, isn't it? It is. Uh, Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Some sort of Chinese symbol means... Chinese symbol. Yeah. Mr. Spencer, what did you put? I just put Chinese writing. Chinese writing. Um, Stars Tyrant? I just said a crescent moon and a line. Uh, George Trevor, what did you put? It is a Chinese style star, one, two, three, four, five pointed star with a serpent. I I don't know, some sort of like, it's like a serpent creature, but almost like a catfish face because it has whiskers. But it's like a serpent, almost like wrapped around the points of the star. If it's not a serpent, it's some sort of catfish because it kind of has like whiskers. Just give him the point. Just give him the fucking point. (laughs) Literally described from an image I'm looking at right now. It's the George Trevor there, well done. Because I've been playing their name constantly throughout the week. Let me just fire up Google Images. <laughs> Congrats. Very good, very good. Sorry, I'm, I'm really offended by the suggestion that I've cheated. 
Question number two was, on what date was the first draft of George A. Romero's screenplay for the first Resident Evil movie completed? We've already said it's in 1998. Can I have your guesses, please, starting with Star's Tyrant? Because it's such a random, out-of-the-blue question, I've said today's date, which is 22nd of April, 2204. It's the 21st of April. It's 22... Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's just to admit that, isn't it? Right now, it is five past midnight. Okay, so you're going... 2104. 2104. Okay, 20... Okay. Mr. Spencer? I just put 20th of August. 20th of August. Oh, yeah. Batman? I'm going to say 21st of September. 21st of September. George Trevor? I'm just... I'm thinking it has to be a date late in 98, so I would say um, 15th of December. No points for anyone, I'm afraid. It's the 7th of October. Well, who's closest? I was less than a month out. What a question. <laughs> well, that's a stupid question. <laughs> it's I, like what? It's like what? At what time last week did I take a shit? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's stupid. No, no points for anyone. I don't care. You're closest, Batman. Sorry. Question number three was: What is the name of the bar in Operation Raccoon City? Mr. Spencer. I just put Jay's Bar because I haven't played Operation Raccoon City because Mr. George Trevor has not sent me the game yet. I'm still waiting for Mr. Batman's permission to send it off because it's his property legally. Don't pass the book. <laughs> this is a porn magazine. No, you've got to wrap it in a porn yeah, magazine. Listen, John, I'll send it on, but the um, some of the pages and the instructions are stuck together. <laughs> oh, oh, God. oh, Jesus Christ. So you go for Jay's bar, which yeah. makes logical sense. George Trevor? The only bar I know it wouldn't be is Jay's bar because it's Operation Racking the City. I don't know. In fact, I refuse to answer this question based upon the game that it's um, based on. Stars Tyrant? Um, because Slam <laughs> 6 have no concept of what makes this series brilliant and that they try and just hone in on anything that is related to the core series, I've gone Bar Blackjack. Bar Blackjack, ah. That's Jack's Bar, isn't it, from Resident Evil 3? Isn't it called Bar Blackjack? Might be. I thought it was Jack's Bar. Anyway. Uh, Batman, what did you put? I think I spotted this, actually. I'm going to say Barry's Bar. Oh, my <laughs> God. It is right. <laughs> oh. It's points to Batman. It's Barry's Tavern. But I'll, gi- I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> Barry's Tavern. It's right at the episode, second second mission. You walk through it. It's all crumpled and ruined. But I, yeah. I remember seeing a little sign saying Barry's Tavern. I thought I'll have that one for the quiz. Well done, <laughs> Batman. Question number four. The Goddess of Time puzzle in RE3 uses three balls. One is crystal. Name the other two. Half a point for each. Batman. Uh, I know one of them is Obsidian. Obsidian, right. And I'm going to have to guess the other one. I'm going to say Sapphire. Sapphire. Yes! (laughs) Hey! (laughs) You're wrong! Come to me next. (laughs) Star's time, what did you put? It's Amber and Obsidian. Shit! (laughs) Bastard! (laughs) Anyway. I haven't said that was right. Uh... George Trevor? Yeah, there's a gold one, which, gold um, coloured one, which is amber, and there's like a bronzy coloured one, which is obsidian. Mr. Spencer, what did you put? Well, I put obsidian and I put diamond, so I've got half a point there anyway. Wait, can I change? No, the amber one, I think is gold. I don't think it is amber. It's obsi- it's amber. I'm going to say obsidian. Oh, shit. No, I'm going to say obsidian and gold. I'm sure it's not amber. Final answer? Yeah, obsidian and gold. I think it might be gold, actually, but we're going to stick with diamond because it would look like I'm cheating if I said gold. 
I'm, I'm rubbing my hands. <laughs> it points to Star's Tyrant. Yeah. It's, oh, it's obsidian and amber. <laughs> oh, George, what are you doing? No, I don't mind. I, stand, I, I don't mind. For some reason, I had a feeling it was gold. I get a point for obsidian, don't I? Oh. It's a good thing you chose crystal as the one you gave us, because I don't think I'd have got that. I think I'd have said diamond. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I think, I think I was. Well, very good, though. Very good point, sir. And finally, question number five. In Resident Evil Director's Cup, where do you find the Starcrest Batman? Uh, <clears throat> this is very difficult, because obviously it's under a range mode, isn't it? Under Director's Cup, everything gets moved about anyway. So I'm going to guess that it is on the statue on the upper balcony in the dining room. Okay. Mr. Spencer? Alex Wesker's office. <laughs> <laughs> Star Stone? I think it was behind the clock in the dining room. Behind the clock in the dining room. And George Trevor? Wait, is it behind the painting in the dining room? Or have I got the wrong thing? Can I change my answer <laughs> to the painting? It's the clue, but it, there's nothing behind it. I don't... I'm going to have to guess. I don't know the, the answer to this for director's cut. I'm going to say it's behind the tiger when you replace one of his eyes. I'm going to say uh, painting, actually, behind the painting. What painting? In the dining, in the dining room. I don't know. The one with the, the swords going through the eyes. Yeah, 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 that's it, yes. Oh, right, okay. Isn't that only in Remake? That's <laughs> <laughs> Remake, yeah. <laughs> well, the clock thing, then. I'll go with the clock, because I haven't played every, uh, the original game for so long, so I'm going to go clock, then. None of you really know the answer, do you? No. No. But one of you's got it right. Uh-oh. Well done, the Batman! Yeah! Oh, <laughs> Joking. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent guess. It's been held where the blue gem was. It's being held. Uh, so where was the blue gem? I don't Nick. I don't know. Oh. I, do you think I know the? Uh, it's a quick look on Game Facts. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. So that con- concludes the quiz. The scores after that. Um, Batman did very well with two point five. Mr. Spencer, you got half. And George Trevor, you got one and a half. And Stars Tyrant, one. Which puts you joint second on the guest leaderboard. Batman, you have now moved up to 18 and a half. Mr. Spencer's crept up by half to 10 and a half. George Trevor, eight and a half. Join us again for the next podcast and we'll go through another set of questions. Very good. Well done, gentlemen. Good game. 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 Sorry, a bit of Brucey there. <laughs> I apologise. Oh, dear. So, well done. Well done. Um, what we could do now is look forward to the next podcast, which will be inevitably episode five, which obviously follows on from four, and we'll be looking at Biohazard 4. Hey. Oh. A very controversial game in the series, as we all know. Rated extremely well by most of the press who reviewed it at the time as hailing as one of the greatest games ever derailed by many Resident Evil fans for being so left field. Good game standalone in terms of its development and whether it actually, you know, met with all our expectations at the time as to what we wanted in, in a Resident Evil game because there's no doubt it's an absolutely phenomenal achievement and a fantastic game. Uh, whether it, you know, should have been that incarnation as opposed to, for example, Hookman. Mm. Uh, you know, that's that's another question. It's certainly been one of the most successful. I mean, the number of Bloomin' versions that are available. I mean, you're talking PS2 version, Wii version, um, on the iPhone, iPad, 
I is it possible, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Dick, but so, in, when we talk about Biohazard 4, could we also touch upon like a 3.5 as well, like what it influenced and what were your derivation, derivatives of it, rather, like, uh, you know, Haunting Ground being one of them? That sounds like an excellent plan. Devil May Cry. Only Musha as well, perhaps? Well, obviously, Resident Evil 4 was in development for such a long time that, you know, as you said, it spawned off so many different different other games as well. But yeah, that'll be, that'll be something to uh, look forward to. Uh, in terms of when that's going to happen, ooh, blimey, what's the date today? 22nd. Probably looking at beginning of May. I would have planned. I think we've got a uh, guest lined up for that one. I don't know. Smiley. Got anything else? Is it Smiley? I think so, yeah. I think he wanted to do Biohazard 4. Are we going to be able to get him and Newsbot on the same podcast? That's the plan. God help us all, gentlemen. God help us all. Well, I was going to say one thing. If we get Smiley and Newsbot on here, it's going to be like Stoke on a Friday night. <laughs> or any part of Britain. Yeah. No, no, Stoke's a bit horrible, isn't it? It's like, like I've said this before, people have given up on that place. I think if they were able to bring the Protestants and the Catholics together in Northern Ireland, I think we can bring together Smiley and Newsbot. And there'll be hope for the Middle East. <laughs> and maybe North Korea will dismantle their nuclear weapons program too. Give peace a chance. And aliens will invade. We won't be able to fight back because we dismantled all our weapons. Exactly. Right? Like Independence Day, those arseholes are on that tower like, hey, aliens are coming. Let's hold placards and bring them down. <laughs> they got wiped out. And I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> Fucking damn hippies. This is why, this is why you need a defense budget. This is why you need a military. This is why we had Vietnam. And on that note, I think we can end the podcast. Thank you all very much for listening, all five listeners of you out there. Nice one. It's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. It's adios from me, Stars Tyrant. Goodbye from me, George Tower. Hey, I'm Mr. Spencer. You, you, you kids take care of yourself. <laughs> I just want to say, guys, you know, from from a member of the community, a big thank you to to what you guys do. You don't hear it enough, and like I alluded to at the beginning, you know, you sometimes launch threads and whatnot that don't get a great deal of response from the community, but it is appreciated. All the translation, what you've brought to the fan base, it, you know, is extremely important, and it's helped define what the community is now and. people don't say it doesn't mean they don't appreciate and you know and love everything you do and it's you know it's worth someone coming out and saying you know seriously big thanks you know you should all give yourselves a serious amount of credit for what you do it's it's really really good i have an erection right now